0: If you have your Bibles there, turn to Daniel chapter 12. Are you enjoying this series on end times? I hope you are. Good. I love preaching on the end times. And this message is called Technology at a Tipping Point. And I want to jump right into it. Let me start with some good news. God is in control. Did you know that? The devil is not in control. God is in control. Here's the next good news. Jesus is coming. So Jesus said, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up, And lift up your head, your redemption is drawing near. So when I talk about all the signs of the end times, this is just incredibly good news. That Jesus is coming and we're about to see the kingdom of God birthed on this earth in the rule of Jesus Christ. So it's all good news. But we're living in in very severe times and what the Bible describes as the end times. And the Bible describes the end times as an age of unique technological capabilities different than any generation that went before it. And these technologies are here, by the way, and it's unique to our generation. Now, we're going to talk, first of all, about four technological advancements the Bible prophesies at the end times. And the first one we're going to find in Daniel chapter 12 and its advancements in knowledge and travel. Now, this is Daniel 12, or I ask you to turn there. And it says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And so the angel's talking here to Daniel and he says, Daniel, seal this book up. It will not be understood until the end times. And here's how you're gonna know that the end times have come. Many people will go to and fro, travel will increase and knowledge will increase. Well, the the question is, is that true in our generation? Well, you know, hundreds of years ago, the average person could only go 20 to 40 miles in a day, either by foot or by horse or however they did it. They just couldn't go that far. And if you were on a ship, maybe you could go, if the winds were good, maybe you could go 100 or 200 miles. But then in the 19th century, trains became popularized and common, and they increased travel a little bit. And then in the late 18th and early 19th centuries, cars and then buses revolutionized travel a lot. People could go hundreds of miles in a day. But it was in the 1960s and 70s that the average person could begin to fly. And right now, the average person travels extensively across America and many around the world. And just let me just ask this question, and I want you to see the hands that go up. How many of you have traveled internationally in the last month? Raise your hand. Look at the hands that have gone go up. Okay. Now that question, you asked that question 200 years ago, if you had traveled internationally, you weren't back yet. Okay. So, <laughs> the, you, you couldn't answer that question. I would have had to say in the last year. And so. We can travel extensively and, you know, Virgin Airlines is now going to make space travel available commercially, hopefully in the near future, they say. And so, yes, we have seen people going to and fro in our generation. This has come true. Well, what about knowledge? Well, this is a a little uh, excerpt here from industrytap.com speaking. It's Buckminster Fuller is the one who created the knowledge doubling curve. And he noticed until 1900, human knowledge doubled every century, okay? So up until the year 1900, human knowledge doubled about every 100 years. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Today, things are not as simple as different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For example, nanotechnology knowledge is doubling every two years and clinical knowledge every 18 months, but on average, Human knowledge today is doubling every 13 months. But according to IBM, the building out of the Internet of Things will lead to the doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. So in the year 1900, knowledge was doubling every 100 years. Now it's doubling every 18 months, and IBM says soon it will double every 12 hours. And so, have we seen the increase of knowledge and travel in our day? Of course we have, in a a dramatic fashion, and it's continuing. The second uh, technological advancement that had to happen for the end to come is satellite television and the internet. And you're saying, Jimmy, you're telling me that satellite television and the internet is in the Bible. It is. It's in Revelation chapter 11, and this is the story of the two witnesses. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, that's three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them… Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies, and if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified, then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now this is Enoch and Elijah. These are two men who did not die in the Old Testament. And now they're going to live and be killed by the Antichrist. And here's what it says, they're going to be killed by the Antichrist and their bodies are going to lay dead and the whole world will see it at the same time. Okay. Well, in the 1920s and 30s, John Hagee, the the pastor in San Antonio, his daddy was was a preacher in the 1920s and 30s, and he preached on the end times. And this is before Israel became a nation. And here's what John Hagee's daddy was preaching in the 20s and 30s. He said, the end cannot come until Israel is a nation and all the world can see the same thing at the same time. They thought he was crazy. How in the world could the whole world see the same thing at the same time? This was impossible 50 years ago. But right now, because of satellite television and the internet, if they killed them and laid them in the street, the whole world can see them at the same time. And it says, and when they're killed, the whole world send gifts to each other. That's when you know you're unpopular. (laughs) When people send gifts when you die. And so, they are killed, and after three days, they're resurrected and ascended to heaven. And so, while the Antichrist is arising, Enoch and Elijah are a thorn in his side and they're preaching the gospel and doing supernatural signs and wonders and testifying to the, to the greatness of Almighty God and the Antichrist hates them so much he ultimately kills them. But what I'm saying is the, the technology that exists for the entire world to witness the same thing at the same time is right now. It can happen right now. But it couldn't happen before because of the technology. The third technological advancement is total worldwide financial control. Okay, so this is the uh, Antichrist. This is Revelation 13. I wanna say something before I read this. The the control that the Antichrist has during the Tribulation, and we won't be here, Jesus is coming. We're gonna go in the rapture before the Tribulation, but the control that the Antichrist has is financial. He has some political power. He has some military power. But the main way he controls people during that time is financially. Here it is right here, Revelation 13, 11. I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth and the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom, let him who understands calculate the number of the beast for this number of a man. His number is 666. Now, so with a cash system, if, if the world is trading in cash, it would be impossible for anyone to control that. You just can't do it because you, you just can't, you know, control every person and their money. But you could do it if it was a cashless society and the control was electronic and central. And we're the first generation in the history of the world that could have a central electronic system that one person could control. I was on the phone today with a credit card company. We were having an issue with one of our credit cards. cameras out shopping and I was trying to lower the limit. And, uh, <laughs> but when I was talking to the credit card company, they said, okay, Mr. Evans, it's done. You know what they, that meant? It was done right then. When they were on their computer and they made an adjustment to our credit card, that means it was done right then. And I have been all over the world with my credit card and you go up to a point of sale technology, whatever that point of sale technology is, and now we can walk up with our cell phone and tap it. But we have point of sale technology that's electronic and I go all over the world with my credit card, swipe it, and within an instant, it's approved or disapproved or whatever. All over the world. And so now we have point-of-sale technology. We also have VeriChip technology. And this is a little chip that was approved by the FDA in 2004. Many of your animals have this chip in them right now. Okay. So this technology has been around for a while. And you can put all of your medical and financial data on this chip. And it would go in your hand, your forehead, wherever. But all of your information can be on that chip. And remember, this scripture that we're reading here is around the middle of the tribulation. So if the tribulation started today, there would still be several years to put this into place around the world. But understand, this type of technology that I'm talking about right now just simply did not exist. Fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, we are the first generation to see this kind of technology that the Bible said would happen at the end of time. And I want to say one more thing about the mark of the beast. I don't know exactly what the mark of the beast is. There are many different theories on what it is. But here's what I do know. This is Revelation 14. A third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy uh, angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast in his image and receive the mark of his name. And so we will not be here, we won't have to worry about that, but whoever is here receiving the mark of the beast is an unforgivable sin. It is something that ensures hell to the person who receives it. So it's a very, very serious thing. Here's the technological tipping point, in my opinion. And this is something that's happening right now in our world that's the most troubling of all the technologies that we see. In the past decade, there have been dramatic advancements in the field of genetics and genetic engineering. As with other areas of knowledge, it is rapidly increasing. And there's some slides that are gonna come up here that you're gonna see, and the first one we're gonna look at is in Human Genetic Engineering. And it's a… the first is a, a Forbes article. This is… and it says, the era of genetically altered humans could begin this year. And This was actually written in January of 2014. And this is talking about a vote that was taken in uh, the UK to allow the DNA of three adults to be put in an embryo rather than two adults. For the first time in human history, we now have the ability to introduce the DNA of more than two people to create a child, okay? But China this year, this is the next slide here, Chinese scientists genetically modified a human embryo. And it says, in a world first, Chinese scientists have reported editing the genomes of human embryos, okay? So, so this happened in April of this year. Listen. In the first time in human history, a human embryo has been edited. Now let me tell you what what that means. That means they're going in to change the DNA of a baby that's gonna be born. And this results in designer babies. Rather than just, you know, having a baby and taking your chances, is it gonna be a boy or a girl? Is it gonna be tall or gonna be short? You know, what's this child gonna be like? And you wait to see, you don't wait to see, you go into an office and you sit down and say, we want this baby to be smart. We want this baby to be tall. We won't want this baby to have any diseases. Here are the diseases of our family. Go in there and change the genetics and erase all this. So basically, it's humans being God. And we're the first generation that has the uh, opportunity to do this. And it's just starting. But this technology is advancing very quickly. Here's another one that's very troubling. This is humancloning.org. If you want to go on their website, this is a big push now for human cloning. Now, I'm from Amarillo. And Amarillo is the American Quarter Horse Association. And quarter horses are all about breeding for for centuries. It's all about breeding. And you go in, you have a horse, you register that horse, and they know all the family bloodlines and all that. They're now cloning horses, and people with cloned quarter horses are coming to the Quarter Horse Association and say, we want to register our cloned horse. They say, no, it's not real. It's a a cloned animal. It's not, not real. And so there's a big legal fight now over whether they're going to clone horses or not, but there have 22 reasons for human cloning, okay? There's 22 of them. One of them is to take a step toward immortality. This is, this is the common thread you're gonna hear me say here in, in these deals. To take a step toward immortality. That kind of sounds like man trying to be God, right? Let me just tell you a little secret. I've got immortality. I don't have to clone to do it. Here's another slide, very, very troubling. 150 human-animal hybrids grown in UK labs. Now this was written in 2011, so this is, this is old news. Right now, all over the world, human-animal hybrids are being created. Pigs with human blood, sheep growing human hearts and organs, uh, all, uh, uh, a mice that's growing a human ear on its back, and all different kinds of animals. And the problem with this is relatively low tech. And now it's being done all over the world. What I'm saying is the human seed is now being introduced with animal seed to produce a hybrid race like Dr. Moreau or something like that, that we've never seen before in the history of the world, but it's happening now. But this is is the worst of all, the one I'm about to talk about. And I, I wanna stop right here and just say, God's in control. Jesus is coming. Okay, so don't get down on me now. So this is all good. Okay. This is about transhumanism, and this is huge. It's going on right now in America, all over the world. This is an article. U.S. super soldiers of the future will be genetically modified transhumans capable of superhuman feats. And this is an article now by Michael Snyder. The future of war is going to look really, really weird. The super soldier research that DARPA, and DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, this is the United States, this is part of our military, is working on right now is any, unlike anything we've seen before. If DARPA is successful and the American people don't object, the soldiers of the future will be genetically modified transhumans capable of superhuman feats. Do you want a soldier that can run faster than Usain Bolt? DARPA's working on that. Do you want a soldier that won't need food or sleep for days? DARPA's working on that. Do you want a soldier that can regrow lost limbs? DARPA's working on that. Do you want a soldier that can outlift Olympic weightlifters and that can communicate telepathically? DARPA's working on that. Americans flock to movies about superheroes and mutants, and soon they may actually have real-life superheroes and mutants fighting their wars for them, but at what cost? A recent Daily Mail article detailed many of the strange research projects that DARPA is working on right now. The fact that DARPA has actually allowed these projects to be revealed in the mainstream media probably means that development stage is nearly over and they're ready to try to convince a wary public to accept them. So our government is working on transhuman uh, uh, research for soldiers and Chuck Hagel, who is our former Secretary of Defense, said in a public speech that I heard, Russia and China together are doing this also And right now, it's an arms race between us and China and Russia to see who can develop this first. So this is big. And we've never seen anything like this in the history of the world. But it's happening now. This is another article. It says, listen to to the title of this. Transhumanists, superhuman powers and life extension technologies will allow us to become like God. This is an article. This is a second article. Here's the final article. This is Ray Kurzweil. And he is the head of engineering for Google, with billions of dollars behind him. And here's the title of this article, Humans Will Be Hybrids by 2030. This is what he says. It says, in the future, humans are going to be artificially intelligent. That's the prediction of Ray Kurzweil, director of engineering at Google, who spoke Wednesday at the Exponential Finance Conference in New York. Kurzweil predicts that humans will become hybrids in the 2030s. That means our brains will be able to connect directly to the cloud, where there will be thousands of computers, and those computers will augment our existing intelligence. He said the brain will connect via nanobots, tiny robots made from DNA strands. Our thinking then will be a hybrid of biological and non-biological thinking." Now this, by the way, what they're working toward is called singularity. And singularity is the day where humanity and technology merge and become one. And they're saying in these articles, 30 or 40 years from now, if you and your children aren't doing this, you will be considered subhuman. You'll be way behind. You won't be as intelligent. You won't be as strong. You'll have diseases. They won't have diseases, so on and so forth. So there are unbelievable things happening in this area. Now, I want to, I want to change gears in this message, and I want to close by talking about something And you know, in the big scheme of things, this doesn't matter. Now, I'm going to talk about this as though it's true, okay? So I'm just going to talk like everything I'm saying from here on is true. Some of it I don't know is, okay? But but some some of it is, absolutely is. But I'm saying it doesn't matter. So if you don't agree with part of this, I don't, really doesn't matter, okay? But I'm saying this because I'm going to make a statement at the end that is very important, okay? So just making a a change here. This is Genesis chapter 3. And this is what God said to Satan after the fall of Adam and Eve. The Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So God is speaking directly to Satan and he declares the seed war. He says, "'Because you've done this, you're going to crawl on your belly, and I'm declaring a seed war between your seed and my seed.'" So there's a seed war. This is Genesis 6, beginning with verse 1. "'It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful, and they took wives of themselves of all they chose. And the Lord said, "'My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh.'" Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and afterward also I was talking about before the flood, and after the flood there were giants. When the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing, birds of the air, I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. The word for giants there is the word Nephilim. And it means fallen ones, okay? So the Bible says that the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they had children and the result was fallen ones or giants, okay? They, they were different, very, very different, okay? Well, who are the sons of God? Well, now, in Hebrew scholarship and the early church, they believed those were fallen angels. In the pseudepigraphal book of Enoch, Enoch says that there were 200 angels that came down to Mount Hermon and swore an oath to each other that they were going to populate the earth with human women. And by the way, the Mount Hermon means mountain of the oath. And by the way, when the children of Israel came into the promised land, at the foot of Mount Hermon was a race of giants that God told them to destroy. And that would be like Goliath and all of his relatives. And so they were there. So who were these sons of God, according to the Bible? Well, Job 1 says this. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. And the Lord said, where do you come from? Satan answered and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Well, it says, the sons of God presented themselves and Satan came. Well, Satan's a fallen angel. Job 2, 1. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came among them also to present himself before the Lord. Again, the sons of God were there and here's a fallen angel, you know, Lucifer, there with him. So some people believe that this race of giants was created by fallen angels mating with human women and creating a hybrid race. So you say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, that's fine. Well, here's what we know though. There's never a reference to a giant ever loving God. And there's never a reference to God ever loving a giant. And the only thing we know about the giants is that God utterly destroyed them every time they existed. When the flood came, there were giants on the earth before and after also. When the giants were on the earth before the flood, God utterly destroyed them. And when the children of Israel went into the promised land, God told Joshua, you utterly destroy every man, woman, and child of those giants. Now, let me say something, my precious Jesus doesn't act that way. That's not like my Jesus, I'm just saying right now. My Jesus is a loving, redemptive Jesus. But when it comes to the giants, God is different. You say, why is He different? Because I don't think he sees them as human, he sees them as hybrids. He sees them in the image of the devil, not in his image, that's what I personally believe. But here's what the Bible says about the giants, by the way. Second Timothy 21, or 2 Samuel 21 says, yet again there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number, and he was also born to the giant. Well, that's yucky. You know? If there's anything worse than being attacked by a giant, it's him waving 12 fingers at you. You know I mean? that. Ugh, that's awful. Well then, the Bible says there was uh, Deuteronomy 3, only Og, king of Bashan remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed his bedstead was an iron bedstead, is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? Nine cubits is its length and four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit. Well, uh, his bed was somewhere between 10 and 15 feet tall, but uh, listen. His bed was so long that they put it on display. He was born of the giants. He was somewhere around 13 feet tall, most scholars believe. He was 13 feet tall. This, this is a big guy. In Numbers 13, this is when the children of Israel were spying out the land. The, now they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the Nephilim, the fallen ones, the descendants of Anak were a part of the Nephilim, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And they went in, the children of Israel went in to spy the land out, the 12 did, and the 10 came back and said, we were tiny compared to them. We were like insects compared to them. These are massive people. And in other words, everything was pretty normal until the sons of God went into the daughters of men. And then there was a hybrid race that God detested and he wiped him off the face of the map. Let me go back just a minute to Noah. So here's, a, here's an interesting scripture. And it says here, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Well, there's kind of a contradiction there. Let me show you what the contradiction is. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but Noah was perfect in his generation. Well, let me tell you something. If you're perfect, you don't need grace. The reason that we need grace is because we're not perfect. So here's my question. Was Noah imperfect and needed grace, or was Noah perfect and didn't need grace? Because the Bible says God gave him grace. The word for perfect here doesn't mean morally perfect. It means genetically perfect. God chose Noah and his family because the seed of the serpent hadn't hit them yet. They had not been infected by this hybrid race that everyone else had been infected by. And so what God did is he came and he gave Noah grace because Noah was an imperfect human being, but he saw his genetics had not been flawed. And so he took him out, destroyed the race of the giants and began all over again. And then Satan began all over again and the seed war continued. And when the children of Israel went into the promised land, you remember David fought Goliath and Goliath was nine feet tall? And Goliath had brothers, they were still there after the flood. And when they were still there after the flood, there was always a war that took place. Let me make a statement. I told you that I was going to say all that I said. And you may agree with what I said. You may not agree with it. Let Let me read you one more scripture before I make my final statement. This is 2 Peter 4. And this is what the New Testament says about the angels who sinned. If God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ash, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would live ungodly afterwards. Let me also read Jude 6 to you and 7. The angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth in his example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And again, I want to go back and say, in the Hebrew scholarship for thousands of years and also in the early church, this was their belief. That angels sinned, they came down and a hybrid race developed on the earth and God detested that hybrid race and every time he saw it, he de- destroyed it or commanded it to be destroyed. Well, why, why am I saying all of that? Because I'm saying there's a hybrid race being created in the world right now. And it's interesting that Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. And we know that some of that is just because the world is corrupt and immoral and it's business as usual in the world. But it could be what Jesus was referring to is this hybridity that we see going on. Human-animal hybrids. The genetic alteration of human embryos. Transhumanism, all of this. So here's, I've said everything that I've said to make this statement. The human seed is sacred and creates humans made in God's image. Man has no right to manipulate or to try to improve on what God has done. I'm not talking about good people using medical technology to help people or cure them. I'm talking about arrogant men taking the place of God and trying to improve and immortalize ourselves so we become our own gods. That's what I'm saying in this entire message. What God has done cannot be improved upon and we should leave the human seed alone except for helping people. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. And again, I'm saying that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. What the Bible said would happen at the end is happening. We are that generation, a unique generation, that we're seeing the Bible fulfilled before our very eyes, and it just simply means we live for Jesus. We're not afraid, we don't, you know, we go to work tomorrow, we live our lives, we, we, you know, we pray about our future, so on and so forth. We're not fearful. We don't stop living, but we live for Jesus. Lord Jesus, We bow our hearts before you and we pray and give our lives to you right now. We surrender our lives to your Lordship right now. And if there's anything in our lives that's displeasing to you, Lord, we lay it down right now. We say, we wanna be ready when you come. We don't wanna be in love with the world. We don't wanna be deceived. We wanna be living in the light. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fill us right now and give us the supernatural ability to overcome evil and to live for Jesus, to be a witness for Jesus until you come. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.